we just started a new series last week uh, called The Kingdom is Like, and we're taking a look at some of the parables in Matthew's gospel, particularly in Matthew chapter 13. So if you've got a Bible, go ahead and turn there. That's where we're going to be this morning. Uh, Matthew's gospel is known as the the gospel of the king and the kingdom. And so Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah king who would come to rule and reign. And then he would exercise his reign in his kingdom. And so last week we said that Jesus' kingdom, or God's kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, no matter how you look at it across scripture, the kingdom of heaven is the righteous and redemptive rule of God in and through Jesus Christ. It's his righteous rule because the prophets promised that there would be a king who would come who would rule in righteousness and he would execute justice and he would do things rightly. And so his, the citizens of that kingdom as well, their lives would be marked by the righteousness and holiness of their king. And his, his, his rule, his kingdom is also redemptive because he's not just dropping a rigid cage around us. He's wanting to weed the garden of our hearts and remove those weeds that are there, those things that are destroying us, those things that are corrupting us. And he wants to plant good seed there that would grow and reap a harvest of righteousness. Last week we said the kingdom is both expansive, that it's spreading to the corners of the earth, but it's also invasive and in that it invades every corner of our souls. So the kingdom of God is what we're taking a look at over the next several weeks together. And this morning our text is in Matthew chapter 13 verses 44 to 46. Before we read it together, I'll give you a little insight to a little bit of my background. I remember as a child growing up, uh, living just down the road from a collectible store. And that collectible store sold baseball cards. And every Friday when I got my allowance from my parents, I would walk down the street to that uh, collectible shop and I would pick from amongst the plethora of baseball card options. I would pick packages of baseball cards, bring them home. Before I could get home, we would open them up and be looking through the packs of baseball cards to see who we got. Uh, And I can remember as a child collecting baseball cards. In fact, now in my parents' attic, among many other things, is my collection of baseball cards in trash bags filled with mothballs. Right, some box sets that have never been opened, some um, packages that have never been opened, because I just couldn't couldn't bring myself to opening them thinking one day. What if I open them one day, right? Uh, there's cards in there that are, uh, at, at the time, were rather, relatively valuable, and they're in like plastic shells, so nothing can crease or tear or crush or bend them. Uh, but they're sitting in my parents' attic. And I can remember my dad as a child, as I collected baseball cards, him telling me on multiple occasions about the baseball cards he bought when he was a kid and the cards that he had as a kid. And I can remember him telling me them going down to the corner store with a nickel, yeah, a nickel and buying a, a package of baseball cards for the bubble gum. That's why they bought the cards, is to get the gum, because they wanted to chew the gum. So they would go and buy a package of baseball cards, get the gum out, and then they would take the baseball cards and they would clamp them to their bikes. Uh, so that as the, the spokes of their wheels slapped the baseball card, it would make a noise. And I can remember just thinking to myself in horror and awe of wondering what baseball cards my dad had clamped to the bike to make noise on the spokes of his wheels, not knowing what those cards would be worth 10 years from then, 20 years from then, 40 years from that point. And I can remember thinking, my gosh, they didn't recognize the value of that piece of cardboard they were holding in their hand at that moment. But in this parable this morning, the two individuals that Jesus speaks of, they absolutely recognize the value of what they're looking at in front of them. And they begin to order their life around it. In Matthew chapter 13, verses 44 to 46, we find two parables that Jesus tells. If you don't have a copy of the Bible, it'll be on the screen for you as we read it together. 
Jesus says, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. He bought that one pearl that was of great value, that pearl of great price. Jesus tells these two parables, and oftentimes when we look at these parables, we go, what's the point of the story? What's the point of the parable? Is the point of these parables that God wants me to be rich? That he wants me to be walking down the road one day and come across a treasure hidden in a creek. Or he wants me to find this great uh, great pearl or this great uh, object of value at a garage sale one day and pick it up because a person doesn't know how much it's worth. Is that the point of the parable? That's not the point of the parable. Okay? With me? It's not that God wants us to be rich. Is 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 the point of the parable that it's okay for me to spend my life looking for hidden treasure? Like with a patch over my eye and a... A, a wooden leg that I'm dragging around. I can go, I can go and like, uh, contract a ship to sail me down to the Caribbean and island hop for the rest of my life looking for sunken treasure. Is that the point of the parable? That's not the point of the parable. Is the point of these parables that it's ethically valid to buy someone else's land if you know there's something valuable on it and they don't know and you don't have to let them know? That's not the point of the parable. It's not that wearing fine pearls to church on Sunday morning is a mark of holiness. Which is a good thing, because we don't have any in our house, and so we wouldn't be very holy. So what's the point of the parable then? The point of the parable is this. Is that there are some things, and what Jesus says here, particularly the kingdom, there are some things that are worth giving up everything for. Worth giving up everything for. And so before we get to the un, un, kind of unpacking that point of this parable, I, I want us to notice a couple of things about the characters in this story. The first one is a man, the second one is a merchant. And the man, what, what you find in the story is that, there's, that in, in both these parables as Jesus sandwiches them together is this, is that some, they set out searching for the kingdom while others are surprised by it. Some are surprised by Jesus' rule and reign in their life while others are searching for it. Right? In, the, in the first parable, some are surprised by Jesus. They stumble over Jesus. They're not necessarily looking for him. They just show up and Jesus kind of, kind of captivates them. He surprises them. In the first parable, is about a man who is surprised to discover a hidden treasure in a field. The man stumbles onto the chest in the field. He's not out looking for it one day. He actually just comes upon it. Now, you might be looking at the, at the text and going, man, that's, high, that's, that's pretty highly unlikely. I don't just kind of go out into the, into the, to the land around Roy City and Fate and stumble over all these treasures lying out there in fields. But you've got to remember, this isn't a day before there were banks, before there were interest rates, before there were investment firms. This is a day before uh, online deposits, direct deposits, safety deposit boxes, debit cards, push pay. Right? It's before any of those, that kind of technology or those institutions and so this man very may well have had a treasure at some point hidden in that field and died before he could share with anyone where he had hidden it and someone happens upon it. There's a man who stumbles upon it and he's surprised by what he's beholding before him. See, some stumble over Jesus. They're surprised by him. They're not looking for him. They're surprised by him. He just kind of pops up in, in, the, in, their, in, their, in their field of vision. That was my story. Listen, I wasn't searching for Jesus, but he was searching for me. And I can remember as a 15-year-old sophomore in high school, 
a buddy of mine that I ran cross-country with began to invite me over and over and over again to his Wednesday night gathering for students at his church, which was about a block away from my house. And one day they actually showed up at my house and said, you're coming tonight. And they drug me to church, literally. And so I show up and I hear for the first time the message of the gospel articulated in a way that Jesus just popped up in my field of vision. I'd heard his name for all my life growing up in the South. It wasn't that I was unaware of who folks, who, who folks thought Jesus was, but it was the first time I'd heard the good news of the gospel. And God saved me that night. I was surprised by it. I wasn't out looking for it, but he was looking for me. Others may not be surprised by him, but they may just stumble upon, they may, they may be actually be searching for him. See, in the second parable, you got a merchant who's actually out looking for fine pearls. He's actually, he's going from shop to shop and from tent to tent and from town to town and city to city looking for these fine pearls, one of great value that he comes upon. See, while some are surprised by Jesus, he pops up in their field of vision, others are actually searching for him through all kinds of religious experiences, through all kinds of church experiences, through all kinds of maybe even philosophical exploration, and, and, uh, and looking through all kinds of different world views. But let me, let me speak to that just for a moment this morning before we move on and say this, is that regardless of how long you've been searching and, and where you've been looking, I, I want you to know that whenever you, whenever you begin to peel the, the, the curtain back on Christianity, the question is not just, is Christianity useful for my life? Because there might be a lot of things that are very useful for your life, but the question is this, not about the usefulness of Christianity, but about its truthfulness. Because if it's true, it will be useful. It will revolutionize everything about you from the inside out, from top to bottom. So if you're searching for Jesus this morning, here's what I want to encourage you to do. That you can't, you can't make a determination based on one sermon that you hear. You can't make a determination upon one book that you read. You can't make a determination upon one experience that you have. And so if you're searching for truth and ultimate reality this morning, I want you to know that it's found in Jesus. And I want you to know that he is up for your quest. He is up for your search. And you can keep pushing and trying to poke holes. And he will be there and you will find substance. No matter how far down you dig, eventually you'll find bedrock, something upon which your feet can rest and your life can stand. Some of you might be here this morning searching for him. And some of you might be here this morning because a friend or a neighbor invited you. And all of a sudden, boom, Jesus pops up in your field of vision and he surprises you. Either way, I'm glad that you're here. I'm glad that you're here. So some are searching for him, others are surprised by him. But either way, for both of these individuals, what they discover is that the kingdom is something worth losing everything for. That Jesus' righteous and redemptive rule in their lives is something worth losing everything for. Notice what happens in the parables. Both the man and the merchant, what do they do whenever they behold this great hidden, this hidden treasure or this pearl of great price? What do they do? They go home and they begin to liquidate all of their assets. They begin to sell off all of their possessions and all of their property. And they begin to get rid of everything they own. They're willing to part with everything for this one thing. For this one thing. Whenever they stumble, when he stumbles upon the treasure, whenever he actually searches and finds this great pearl, they go home and sell everything that they have. They liquidate their assets because of something that they found that's incredible 
absolutely astonishing to them. They go home and they get rid of all their goods because of the glory of this one thing that's out before them now in their field of vision. They get rid of everything for this one thing. And Jesus says, His righteous and redemptive rule of Him saving you from sin, of Him saving you from yourself, beginning to pluck the weeds out of your heart and beginning to plant seeds there that would grow and bear a harvest of righteousness, that His rule in your life is worth giving up everything, relinquishing everything, laying aside everything, liquidating everything to come to Him. But what keeps us from that? Because there are some, maybe you're even here this morning and maybe you've kind of come to the threshold of the kingdom in your life. And you're looking at Jesus and you're investigating him. Maybe you're searching him or he maybe pops up and you're surprised by him. But, but you're looking at the kingdom. You're looking at Jesus' righteous and redemptive rule. And you're going, can I cross the line of faith and become a citizen and come under his rule? But maybe there's, maybe there's something that's keeping you from taking that step. And here's what I want to say to you this morning is that for all of us in the room, no matter what, where, what your background is or where you're coming from, that for all of us, what, the, the, the biggest hindrance from us crossing that line of faith and becoming a citizen of, of God's kingdom and coming under Jesus' righteous and redemptive rule, of giving up everything for something, the kingdom, here, here's our biggest issue. I'm just going to go ahead and lay it out like this, that something else is your Everything. Something else is your everything. There's not a person in this room this morning or who has ever existed who has not had some thing, some person, some possession, some position that has been there everything. Something that they've been willing to give up everything for. Something that they're willing to order their lives around. See, we're all of us, all of us are living for something. We're all living for something. Some of us will lose everything We'll give up everything because our everything is our comfort. We'll lose all things for this everything of maintaining our comfort. So we give up people in our lives who need work <laughs> because they're needy and they might expect something of us or demand something of us. And so we, we turn our backs on those individuals. We give up jobs that require hard work. We might even give up marriages because they force us to change. Don't think that you're going to come into a marriage and not have to change because you're marrying another sinful human being. <laughs> There's going to be change required in the, course of, in the context of every relationship and some of us are willing to give up everything, everything to maintain comfort. For some of us, our everything is our kids. And so we order our lives around our kids. And so their schedules become our schedules we make sure they have all the opportunities that they need to be well-rounded. And, and so they become the little dictators in our home. And then 10 years later, 15 years later, we look back and we go, why in the world do they think the world revolves around them? <laughs> because everything that we've done to this point has been to order our lives around them and what they want. Some of us, our everything is our kids. Listen, I'm gonna, let me just say this. It's not bad to love your kids and provide opportunities for them. But when your life is ordered around them and they're the center and you're orbiting around them, that's unhealthy. That's unhealthy. For some of us, our everything, our everything is our looks. It's body image, 
how people perceive us, and whether or not they will accept us because of our attractiveness. Our everything is how we look in the mirror in the morning. So we're willing to, things, we're willing to give up food, right? <laughs> Some eating disorders have a very deep spiritual root in our lives. Some elective plastic surgeries have a very deep spiritual undertone in the reasons that we're pursuing those things. And we will liquidate everything and give up everything for our look. Some of us, our everything is control. We'll give up relationships, jobs, and even churches because we're not the ones who's pulling the strings there. Some of us, it's popularity. Students, if you're in the room this morning, some of you have, have such a desire to be liked and accepted and received that you will give up anything to be around the people who would give you the attention that you're looking for or they would connect you to the people who would give you the attention that you're looking for and the approval that you're seeking. For some of us, our popularity is everything. For others, it's our hobbies. We could go on and on and on and list out things. The reason that people come to the threshold of the kingdom and they go, Jesus, he looks good, but I'm not sure that he's better than this. It's a hard issue for us. It's a hard issue. Because something else is our everything. How do you know if something else is your everything? One of the ways you can know, here's a little benchmark for you. One of the ways you can know is by your response to the last chapter of the Bible. When you get to the end of the Bible, in Revelation chapter 22, John has this grand vision of Jesus on his throne. Jesus returning. Jesus making all things new and setting all things right of there being no longer any death or sadness or sickness or pain, of there no longer being any sea, so there's no longer any separation between God and man or between those whom God has redeemed. They're brought into perfect harmony and community forever and ever and ever. And at the end of the Bible, John finishes Revelation 22 with these words, Come, Lord Jesus. In other words, Jesus, would you come in all of your fullness now? Would you come and make everything right today? Would you come and set the course of the rest of human history and order it in, in, in line with your, your righteousness? Would you redeem all of your people fully and finally now? Come, Lord Jesus. That's what John says at the end of Revelation. But listen, for most, most modern Americans, in lots of churches, the cry of their heart whenever they read that is not, come Lord Jesus, but wait Lord Jesus. <laughs> like, Jesus, can you just give me a few more years here? Right? Wait Lord Jesus. Wait until I graduate. Hmm? Wait until I get married. Wait until I get my first job. Wait until I have kids. Jesus, could you just wait until the kids are out of the house? <laughs> uh, Jesus, could you just wait until I can see my grandkids and enjoy them? Jesus, would you just wait until I could have a, a, a retirement? Would you just wait? And listen, if, if part of the reason that we feel that way is because we're, we're un, we, we know, we're uncertain that what lies ahead of us is better than what is behind us. And we can't imagine anything better than those things that taste good here and now. If the cry of your heart is, wait, Lord Jesus, more than likely something else is your everything. So, you might understand these parables now a little bit. 
that the kingdom is something worth losing everything for. But these parables, as we said last week, they beg not just to be understood, but to be lived. They, don't, they beg to be lived. And so in, in, our, in the time that we have left, I, I want to push into a response to these parables as Jesus lays these out for us. And so here's, here's, here's how you and I should take a step in obedience to respond to what Jesus is saying to us about what his righteous and redemptive rule is like. And it's this. It's that you and I respond to what Jesus is saying here by letting go of everything to take hold of this one thing. We've got to let go of everything to take hold of this one thing. Have you ever tried to open a door when your hands are full? You've been unloading groceries, kind of getting out of the car in the driveway, and you, you know, the garage door's open, and you're going through the, in through the back door, and you got like, you're trying to be as fi- efficient as possible, right? So you got 17 bags, you got a couple of strapped over your shoulder, and you're like hauling this through the door. Right? And you get to the door, and you're like trying to use your elbow to rotate the door handle, right? It's incredibly challenging, near impossible, and so what do you do? You set down the bags, and you open up the door, right? You, you let go of something to take hold of another. And that's what Jesus is calling us to do this morning. Wherever you are in your walk with him, he's calling you to let go of some things to take hold of this one thing, of his righteous and redemptive rule in your life. And what you need to see, what you need to see so clearly this morning is this, is that whatever he's calling you to let go of, whatever he's offering to put in your hand is better. There's an exchange rate in the kingdom. You know what an exchange rate is? If you travel from this country to another country, you take your currency out of your wallet and you set it on the desk at the currency counter in the airport wherever you land, they're going to exchange your currency for the currency of that host nation that you're visiting. And the exchange rate of the U.S. dollar right now varies depending upon which country that you go to. And so if you travel today to Japan, you could take one U.S. dollar and get 103 Japanese yen. But if you travel to Great Britain and you take one U.S. dollar, you can get less than one British pound for your American dollar. You can get 0.79 British pounds. So the exchange rate in in Japan is in your favor. The exchange rate in Great Britain is not. But here's what you need to know this morning is that with Jesus' kingdom, as you come into it, whatever you let go of to take hold of it, the exchange rate is always working in your favor. Because he's seeking to redeem and rescue you from sin and from yourself. The exchange rate is always working in your favor. So consider a couple of things that we, might have to, we will have to let go of in order to come into the kingdom. And in order for the kingdom, the rule of Jesus, to work its way further into us. So one thing you got to let go of to come in and one thing you got to let go of for it to work its way further into you. In order to come in, what you have to let go of, one thing you have to let go of is your pedigree. It's your credentials. It's your spiritual resume. See, all of us live our lives trying to pad our resume to some degree with our, our merits and our works and the things that we've accomplished and the things that we've done. And so we offer those things up to God. But what you need to understand is to come into the kingdom, the exchange rate's always working in your favor because what you get to exchange is your merit, your works, your, the good things that you've done, your, your moral righteousness. You get to exchange your merits for God's mercy. And that, that, that exchange rate is always working in your favor. 
So you you let go of your merits and you take hold of God's mercy. This is so challenging for those of us who feel like we're from pretty good stock, though. Like, we come from a pretty good family. Like, I, I was raised in church, and I grew up, and I, I went to VBS, and I went, uh, you know, I was baptized at, at, at seven, whether I really understood everything or not, whether I really was making the decision or not. Right? For, for those of us who feel like we come from pretty good stock, and we've gone through all, you know, like I, I went to camp as a youth, and I went to a, a, a private Christian school, and I went to a private Christian college, and I graduated, and I've been, I've been in church all my life. But maybe there's a possibility that you've never really let go of your pedigree. You never really let go of your merits to embrace God's mercy and made that exchange. Paul found himself in that position. The Apostle Paul, in Philippians chapter 3, he writes these words. He says, if anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Paul says, if anybody else thinks they had an impressive spiritual resume to hold up to God, he's like, mine will outshine you hands down. Mine will, mine, mine will outweigh yours. Mine will rise to the, stock of to the top of the stack of spiritual resumes every day of the week and twice on Sundays. But Paul says, everything that I once thought was to my benefit, everything that I once thought gave me standing and favor and acceptance and approval in the eyes of God, I've counted as loss for the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus In other words, what I'm looking at in front of me is far more valuable than what I'm leaving behind me. So I'm letting go, Paul says, I had to let go of my merits to exchange that for God's mercy. So the foundation of my life is not what I do for Jesus, but what he has done for me. And listen, that exchange always works in your favor. And here's why. Because so long as you're leaning on your merits and upon your works, you're going to be like a child who's walking through the meadow, picking up a flower and picking the petals going, he loves me, he loves me not, he loves me, he loves me not, he loves me, he loves me not. Depending upon how you're doing that day, that morning, that evening, he loves me, he loves me not. How well did I perform? How good were my works? I could, Wait, I had a, had a terrible thought come through my mind. He loves me not. I, 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 I said a kind word to somebody. He loves me. So long as you're leaning on your merits, you will always be uncertain of the love of God for you. But when you shift your weight from your merits onto God's mercy, then you will walk through the meadow with a flower picking petals saying, He loves me. 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 Because his mercy will outshine all of your merits. 
Have you ever shifted the weight and let go of your pedigree? Let go of your merits and embraced the mercy of God. Only if you will do that will you have security in this life that God loves you and security into the age to come that you will be with Him and enjoy Him forever. Second thing that you've got to let go of. First one is if you want to come into the kingdom, become a citizen. Second thing is this. If you want the kingdom of God, the rule of Jesus to invade more and more of your personal space, what that often means is that you have to let go not only of your pedigree, but of your preferences. Of your preferences. Listen, you, you, what, you, what you and I have got to learn to do is exchange our preferences for God's priorities. Our preferences for God's priorities. Is, is it wrong to prefer things? No, absolutely not. You can prefer all kinds of things. I prefer... Like a medium steak with a little bit of red running out of it to a well-done steak that's like a hockey puck, okay? I, I prefer a truck to a sedan. I prefer a home to an apartment. You prefer all kinds of things. But when it comes to the ultimate realities of life, for the work of God to invade further and further and further into your soul and claim more of your personal space... It often requires us exchanging our preferences for God's priorities. To be a part of kingdom expansion as it grows to the ends of the earth oftentimes means that we lay aside our preferences. Listen, just like you, I prefer to be people who are like with, around people who are like me. <laughs> I do. Maybe I shouldn't admit that to you this morning, but I do. But oftentimes to be a part of kingdom expansion as it grows to the corners of the earth, sometimes you have to say, I'm going to lay aside my preferences of always being around people who think like me and act like me and live like me to engage people whom God is seeking to surprise. I'm going to lay aside my preferences for the priorities of the kingdom and its expansion Listen, you may prefer to be in a church that has all kinds of age-graded programs for every life stage and age. But oftentimes, in order to see the king kingdom expansion into an area, there are new churches that have to be planted. And those new churches don't come out of the box with all kinds of age-graded ministries for every life stage and season. So while you may prefer that, sometimes you have to engage God's priority and say, I'm going to lay that aside for a season because those things take time to develop and grow. Or you may prefer to have a certain worship style. You might prefer traditional worship to contemporary worship or contemporary worship to traditional worship. Songs led by a guitar uh, or songs led by an organ. Songs that have all kinds of roots back into the hymnal and songs that are being written as we speak. You might prefer one kind of worship style to the other, but sometimes in order to take a step forward into the kingdom expansion, you've got to lay aside preferences that are not biblical priorities. And oftentimes, in order for God's kingdom to be invasive in your life and to invade more of your personal space, it requires that you set aside some of your preferences and that you, when you let go of those and you take hold of the priorities that God has. So, exchanging your merits for God's mercy and exchanging your preferences for God's priorities. 
But either way, oftentimes it's still a, a challenging exchange. So I want to close with this. What is it that will lead us to take that step, to cross that threshold, to exchange your merits for God's mercy, to exchange your preferences for God's priorities? It's in the text that we just read this morning. And I want to show it to you. It's one, one word. <laughs> one word. One little three-letter word. And the word is joy. I read these parables for a very long time and read right past that word over and over and over and over again until recently when it just jumped off the page at me. See, joy is the fuel and the product of this exchange. It's what propels it forward and it's the product that it generates on the back end as well. It's the cause for this exchange and it's the consequence of this exchange. It's joy. If you look in the parables, in one it's very explicit, in the other it's implied. In one it says that this man who stumbles upon this treasure hidden in a field, it says, in his what? Duty? Or in his joy, out of his joy, he goes and sells everything that he has to get this one thing. The merchant who's searching for pearls doesn't say that he discovers the great pearl and somebody comes up behind him, grabs his arm and twists it really hard and puts a gun to the back of his head and says, go sell everything that you have to buy that pearl. doesn't say that. He freely and fully relinquishes everything that is behind him for what lies in front of him. Both the man and the merchant do this, have the same response because they recognize the exceeding value of what lies in front of them. So that they're willing to relinquish everything that's behind them, everything that they own, everything that they possess, all the rights that they had. They lay those things aside to say, give me this. And they do so out of their joy. Out of their joy. Listen, joy is the fuel of that exchange. You can be a very, very, very good and moral person. You can try and, li- you can live, by the, try and live by the Ten Commandments and live by the commands of Scripture. You can do all of those things and not be a Christian. You can be a very good moral person, a very fine, upstanding citizen of the community in which you live. People can look to you as a guiding beacon and you not be a Christian if the word joy is absent from the exchange. If you're living on the basis of duty, I've got to do this and I've got to do that and I've got to do the other. That is not Christianity. Christianity is the invasion of joy into the soul that begins to bubble over into the life that says, yes, I will freely and fully let go of everything back here to take hold of what's out here. It's out of joy. It's the fuel for that exchange. But not only is it the fuel, but it's also the product. It's what gets produced in your life. Have you ever noticed the most joyful people? The most joyful people are the ones whose lives are not centered on themselves. Have you ever known people like that? They just seem to be overflowing with joy because they're not constantly looking in the mirror. In fact, one Puritan author said it this way. His name was Henry Scogel. He said, Never does a soul know what solid joy and substantial pleasure is until once being weary of itself. It gets tired of itself. It's tired of looking in the mirror all the time. 
It renounces all of its correctness. It doesn't have to be right about everything all the time anymore. It gives itself up to the author of its being and feels itself become a holy and devoted thing and can say from an inward sense and feeling, my beloved is mine. In other words, I count all his interest as my own and I am his. I belong to him. I'm content to be anything for him and care not for myself, but that I may serve him. He says, you want to find joy. It comes whenever you grow tired of yourself, of always looking in the mirror and life revolving around you, and you grow tired of always having to win, always having to be right, always having to be correct, always having to put other people in their place. Those individuals are not joyful. But whenever you come to look at God, And give up everything that lies behind to take hold of that one thing that lies ahead of Jesus' rule in your life. And he begins to redeem and he begins to pull weeds out of your heart and out of your soul. He begins to plant seeds of righteousness in you. And he invades more and more and more of your personal space. And no longer are you looking in the mirror at yourself, but your your eyes are lifted to him. And joy begins to build and grow in your life. And you understand what it is to have the fullness of joy. Joy is the fuel and the product of this exchange. So let me ask, as we close this morning, I want to ask you a question. Where, where are you? Have you crossed the threshold, the, 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 <laughs> the borders of the kingdom? Have you come under Jesus' righteous and redemptive rule? Have you found the joy that exists there of no longer having everything revolve around you but everything now revolves around him and you count your life as nothing other than what it could be used for for his purposes? Have you exchanged your merits for God's mercy? Are you currently exchanging your preferences for God's priorities in your life? Are you seeing the kingdom take more and more and more of your personal space? Some of you are here this morning and you're searching for Jesus and you've come looking for him. Some of you are here this morning and a neighbor invited you and all of a sudden Jesus popped up in your field of vision. But whether you're searching or you're surprised, I want you to know that Jesus has been searching for you and he is not surprised that you are here. (laughs) But maybe by his providence and by his grace, he's brought you here this morning to let go of everything. It's one that lies behind you and take hold of that one thing of exceeding value in front of you, and that is Him. And that is Him. And in your joy, you would lay aside, lay all of it aside. Let go of everything to take hold of that one thing. Because I want you to know that the Bible teaches us that Jesus Himself, out of the joy that was set before Him, let go of everything to take hold of you. You may not know how much a Hank Aaron rookie card is worth or a Mickey Mantle rookie card is worth. But even if you do, those, finite, those pieces of cardboard have a finite value. The kingdom, Jesus' rule in your life, it's of infinite value. So sell everything. Let's pray together. Father, we come today overwhelmed by the thought that you would love us that you would pursue us, that you would seek us even when we had not sought you. 
that you would pop up into our field of vision this morning and surprise us. Father, I pray that whether folks are in this room this morning who have been searching or whether they've just stumbled upon you this morning, Father, I pray that they would see that the exchange rate of the kingdom is always in their favor. And I pray they would lay aside their merit and take a hold of your mercy. Lay aside their preferences and take a hold of your priorities to be used by you for kingdom expansion into this little corner of our world and maybe even to the ends of the earth. I pray that whatever it is that is our everything, God, I pray that this morning that we could lay that aside to take hold of the one thing that not only has value in this life, but in the life to come. And may we do it with joy. Because we know, we know, and we can see that you would remove the scales from our eyes and uncork our ears to see and know just how valuable, infinitely valuable you are. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.